Our lady knows. She got smart about revolution. And she knows you have to get what you want your own way. from the album cop this the album that was by cosmo welcome to polyrical a podcast on political music a topical solution for the economic revolution a soundtrack for the resistors the agitators and the fighters working for a better world if you want to make a recommendation or send me a message head over to polyrical.com you find a link there to send an email you can also find a link there to recommend a song a topic or an artist for a future episode and a link to make a donation to keep this podcast free and independent. Following in the footsteps of the January 6th protest turned crime spree in Washington, D.C., trying to disrupt the counting of the votes and the moving forward of the Biden presidency. Uh, On January 8th of 2023, a very similar scene unfolded in Brazil against the newly formed government of Lula da Silva by the defeated folks supporting uh, Jair Bolsonaro. Uh, They stormed the Capitol building, they stormed the presidential palace, they destroyed artwork and building infrastructure, much in the same way that the uh, U.S. protesters did. And major events like these don't just happen in a vacuum. All major protests take lots of planning and lots of uh, folks behind the scenes doing work to make sure that they happen. Some of those folks, of course, are uh, the part of the Bolsonaro team and family. And uh, Jair Bolsonaro's son, in particular, um, has worked with Steve Bannon, 
who also had his hands in various ways in a lot of the other um, Trump-related uh, events that we've experienced um, and is active actually globally in the far-right movement. I don't know that much about Bannon. I don't follow Bannon very closely, uh, but it's important for us to know at least enough about who is in the background, who is pulling the strings, and how they're making it happen um, in order for us to try to counter that and counter those efforts. In any event, here's a song. It is called Bannon. It is by B. Dolan, and it features Jasiri X and Bamboo de Pistola. But it's Lucifer Park Green for neo Nazis who march with Steve. Bannon. Eating brave when my head is shaved. Holding pamphlets. I told them, wake the fuck up, man. Help me understand this. Middle class vanishing. Reservoir cancerous. 30 years of war in the desert for the management. Came back to home foreclosure. They made the bankers rich. Watch them strip the city up the slippery with barricades by Tiffany's. Now answer this. Who should I blame for what ain't right, son? One black president of 44 white ones. You think you're that type cause? You wearing the Right skin, you signed up a fight club and they let you write in. No global conspiracy, no hidden reptilian race, no immigrants and refugees scraping your dinner plates. We know the villain's name is still the same as it was. And when they sell you that bullshit, you were paid them in blood. But uh, pardon me, that's just Lucifer part three for neo Nazis that rock with Steve. That's hedge fund billionaire Black Steve. That's wife beater triple misdemeanor Steve. Straight up, your new strategy chief. He got some fascist belief. That's Steve. Bannon. He's white power, coward ass trolls need. Bannon. Now, will you go to World War Three for Steve? Bannon. The ballot or the bullet, you'll figure out when it lift you. The magazine means we addressing every issue. The trigger makes you sad, it's depressing when it hits you. Shit, Uncle Sam got jammed with the hammer and the sickle. It made you sick too. Haunted by the ghost of Castro. Knee deep in shit, cause you cash your vote for an asshole with Kanye and Trump Tower. We're looking like Sambo They rhetoric is half empty like a pessimist Moses in Exodus God sent me with the testament A man who won list He was just elected the president If I office to pay Am I an American terrorist like Lupe? One hood secret society Not the boule And then every meeting with fried chicken and Kool-Aid I'll see you next Tuesday My DND is a black woman on EBT America's nightmare Poor people with freedom dreams be done, let's go. Hey yo, fuck Steve Bannon, Bam said it with authority. Matter of fact, let's bring it back. Fuck the authorities and Bannon Panda into the alt-right. Bart Bright, Bright Bart, start fighting, I'm stomping them all night. I like punching me a Nazi for the exercise. Y'all update your status while the Trumpers dumping Palestine. Dump a ton of cyanide inside a little missile. Send missiles to the other side. We're Syrian officials who were chummy once with chubby fucking Bannon. Roman sacks alone. Be grab my gun, it's time to I'll be holding on this one up like a power lifter Lifting up the bars to build a muscle Mr. Iron Spitter And no matter how many of these I drop on Bannon And if it ain't followed by work Then we get work right out the ballot Comb your fucking hair Get out his fucking air He can clearly hear his profit over people Who were born without the stringy hair Bang, 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 Bannon, fuck you, boy Bannon and that'll bring us to our topic of the episode and the topic of the episode is rich people and my take on rich people is they shouldn't exist and that doesn't mean i don't think that uh everyone should have a reasonable amount of wealth the way that our economic system is structured right now, money is what provides you with the means of, of subsistence and existence. So it's important as long as we have these systems in place that everyone have enough of it to live a comfortable life and to thrive. But that's not how our system works. Our system works as an extractive tool to suck value out of people who produce things 
and accumulate that value in the form of money and wealth in the hands of a very small amount of people. And that is perpetuated and exacerbated by that wealth giving them power. And that's not uh, necessarily bad in itself if they use that power to uplift everyone else. But that's not what the wealthy do. The wealthy use that power to gain more wealth. So it becomes this never-ending cycle of a small number of folks enriching themselves. Here's what Frederick Douglass had to say about that in 1856. This published in Frederick Douglass's paper. The Accumulation of Wealth The Spartan lawgiver who discouraged the accumulation of wealth because of its tendency to impair the liberties of his country was fully justified in the extreme measures he adopted by the universal experience of nations and the fate of his own country. The fall of Spartan liberties dating from the introduction of wealth and consequent luxury among her citizens. His aim to exterminate wealth and refinement entirely was perhaps not wise. It is not wealth of itself that produces the dreaded effects, but is the accumulation in the hands of a few, creating an aristocracy of wealth, ready to be the tool of an aggressive tyranny, or to become aggressive upon its own account. With an increase of wealth comes an increase of selfishness, a devotion to private affairs, and a contempt of public, unless politics can be made to minister to all the absorbing selfishness of the individual. The advocates of unbridled accumulation claim for their system that it is founded on nature, that the faculty of acquisition is found existing in man everywhere and in all stages of development, that the world owes much to the enterprise developed by its influence, and that it would be shallow statesmanship to interfere with its action. We are ready to grant that the condition of man, cast as he is into the world naked and surrounded by elements unfriendly to his continued existence, renders a degree of acquisitiveness necessary for the security of life. But is it just to plead this moderate degree of accumulation indicated by nature in justification of the unlimited hoarding of wealth and monopolies of land, which has converted almost the entire civilized world into an abode of millionaires and beggars, which renders the enslavement of the peoples of the world possible and shrouds the future of liberty with gloom. Wealth has ever been the tool of the tyrant, the readiest means by which liberty is overthrown. A nation starting with free institutions and customs begins to increase in wealth, and that wealth to accumulate in the hands of a few, and here is the lever by which eventually and certainly the liberties gained in a simpler age will be overthrown. Wealth is averse to agitation. It abhors revolutions. It calls for peace at whatever sacrifice. A tyranny of an individual or a class may be winding its subtle meshes around the wealthy, depriving them of the right of unrestrained locomotion, the right of free speech, the right of private judgment. But if it leaves them the privilege of grasping and accumulating gold, they are content, nay, will aid the tyranny to subject those who value their liberties enough to struggle for them, for the agitation might endanger their gains. And that will bring us to our first tracks about rich people. Up first is a, a track from the album This Joy by the Resistance Revival Chorus. This is Rich Man's House. Well, I went down to the rich man's house and I took back what he stole from 
Sexuality. It won't be about where you're from or what you believe. It won't be about religion. It won't be about oil. It won't be about lines drawn in the sand anymore. When cometh the hour, cometh the war, it'll be the rich versus the poor. and stones across the great divide it's been so long since we've even seen the other side the poor have got the numbers the rich have got the guns and the self-driving tanks and the drones and the bombs but 99% of the world's population on the same side is a force to be reckoned with Business after business after business goes bust It will be the loaf of bread versus the upper crust And it won't be pretty, it won't be patriotic It will boil down to what is in your wallet How much have you got? How much do you want it? And how much are you willing to sacrifice to keep it? When cometh the hour, cometh the war, it'll be the rich versus the poor. There's nothing new about wealth inequality This shit's been going down throughout recorded history But this time it feels different It's not like before Now the rich don't need the poor to make their things anymore And you can't start a union if no one is exploiting you No leg to stand on Nobody gonna give a shit about you, you know They saw it coming They've been planning this for years Gonna save all the precious resources for themselves And there won't be any countries Just big corporations and a handful of rich cunts 
not answering to anyone It's getting ugly, I tell you that for sure In fact it might even be the end of us all When come if the hour, come if the war It'll be the rich versus the poor and that was Beans on Toast with the track Rich Versus Poor from the album, The Inevitable Trainwreck. Here's an excerpt from a piece by Stuart Lansley, published at BraveNewEurope.com. For the last 40 years, a rising tide of inequality has swept across much of the globe, reversing the achievement of peak equality in many nations in the early post-war decades. Today, most rich countries are significantly more unequal than half a century ago. The trigger for this shift from the dominant post-war philosophy of egalitarianism was an assumption of power by a coterie of small-state, free-market, anti-equality thinkers. For these neoliberal evangelists, equality had gone too far. While faster economic progress, it was said, depended on bigger rewards at the top and accumulation of much larger private fortunes. Although these pro-capital doctrines were applied most forcefully in Anglo-Saxon countries, neoliberalism infected policymaking across much of the globe. Seizing the new political license to get rich, a small group of empowered financial elites engineered a range of extractive business practices to secure an excessive slice of the economic cake. They adopted methods which have reverberated across economies and societies, affecting wages, livelihoods, and the resilience of communities. Through a state-assisted process of leveling up at the top and leveling down at the bottom, today's top 1% have taken 38% of all additional wealth accumulated since the mid-1990s, leaving the bottom half with just 2% of the fruits of growth. Examples of extraction include the rigging of financial markets, the manipulation of corporate balance sheets, and the skimming of returns from financial transactions, often enabled through the suppression of competition. This has been anything but a pro-market revolution. And it's been anything but a, a natural progression. It is all intentional for the singular purpose of driving more wealth into the hands of the few. This remarkable process of extreme wealth concentration has been assisted by the deliberate erosion of a range of anti-inequality policies. Governments have launched privatization, deregulation, and monetary policy tools which have further boosted the power of capital, while the social protection systems built after the war have been widely downgraded. Most states have reduced top tax rates while turning a blind eye to global tax avoidance, corporate and individual. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development has warned, quote, The reduced redistributive capacity of tax benefit systems has been a key source of widening income, income gaps. All this as the Republicans currently are talking about abolishing the IRS and the income tax. Fortunately, they don't have the power to make it happen, uh, but it is one of their dreams and the dreams of their uh, funders to drive even more wealth to the already wealthy. The poor already pay a disproportionate portion of their income to a variety of different taxes, uh, much more, much higher proportion than the wealthy pay. On top of all that, the super wealthy are killing us in an enormous number of ways um, in unequal uh, access to health care and the capability of paying for that health care uh, kills tens of thousands of people every year. Um, the driving forces behind the climate crisis are also heavily directed by the wealthy. Here's a, a portion of a piece published at commondreams.org written by Linda McQuaig. Watching Elon Musk reveal himself in recent weeks to be the world's richest buffoon 
has certainly been entertaining. However, it could lead to the conclusion that billionaires are silly but harmless, which is far from the truth. Yes, they are often silly, but they are rarely harmless. Indeed, they are among, they are among the most dangerous people to walk the earth. And I'm not just referring to their hoarding of resources while much of the world goes hungry. Side note, but that is a really, really important part of how they're destructive. The real danger they pose to humanity is their enormous and largely hidden role in the climate crisis. The problem is twofold. First, the carbon footprint of a billionaire is gigantic. By contrast, the poorest half of the world's population, 4 billion people, hardly contribute to climate change at all. On average, each person in this deprived bottom half of humanity contributes only 1.6 tons of carbon a year. However, the average person in the top 1% of the global population contributes 110 tons of carbon a year, while the average person in the top 1 one-hundredth of a percent contributes a monstrous 2,531 tons. Meanwhile, we haven't even hit the billionaire level yet. A billionaire typically contributes a jaw-dropping 8,190 tons of carbon a year. So while the ranks of the super-rich are small, their carbon emissions from private jets, yachts, multiple homes are so immense and fast-growing that they are a key driver of climate change. Now we come to the second part of the problem, their role as corporate owners directing enormous pools of capital towards fossil fuel production and infrastructure. In a new study, Oxfam notes that if the investments of billionaires are factored in, their average emissions move from thousands of times greater than an ordinary person to more than one million times greater. Oxfam examined the investments of 125 billionaires and found they were skewed towards fossil fuels. If these billionaires moved their investments to a fund that simply followed the S&P 500, the intensity of their emissions would be reduced by half. So, rich people and super rich people and monstrously, unfathomably, nearly incomprehensibly rich people. They kill. The policies and the systems that allow people to accumulate these amounts of wealth and the subsequent uh, related amounts of power that come along with them uh, need to be ended. And policies, programs, and systems need to be built in their place that prevent this gross accumulation of wealth. Here is Lil Guillotine with the track, Thirst, Eat the Rich. Hey. Hey. Eat the riches the fresh we be much in our flesh feet for rushing it when we for starving and then you find our food in a trash can for profit we had enough and we had to stop it eat the rich and stay fresh we be munching our flesh feet for brunching it when pee for starving and then you find our food in a trash can for profit we had enough and we here to stop it one out of six in the country is hungry one out of five children have empty tummies one out of one of the riches the villain 100 percent of system needs killing we stop it with force because of course they got muscle we eat the rich because they keeping us hustled daily police and don't forget truffles popo risotto with honey and waffles hey. The dreamers be starving the streets. They judge the hungry folks that they meet. Blinded by personal responsibility. Puritan work ethic splits a community. We topple facade and we call for unity. Model discreet, cause this is a mutiny. Chuck 40% of food with impunity. Guillotine and your neck meets beautifully. Hey. 
And that was the Mountain Goats from the album The Jordan Lake Sessions, Volume 5. That was Wage Wars, Get Rich, Die Handsome. Wars, another important way that the rich kill the poor. Wars are perpetrated by rich folks in order for them to get richer. And are fought by working class and poor folks who kill other working class and poor folks either who they are facing on the quote-unquote battlefield or who are quote-unquote collateral damage and innocent bystanders. I don't know who said it but there's a quote I remember that says the rich make promises that the poor keep. 
And now for a few words. These are a few words from Noam Chomsky off the album Capital Rules. This is Automation, Protecting the Rich from Market Discipline. Uh, another factor, which is again discussed in the press on Caterpillar, is the fact that Caterpillar has been able to shift to uh, what they call computer-controlled machines and other kinds of automation. And that's, uh, har that's again, you know, a weapon in the hands of management and against the workforce. But there's a hidden story there, too. Uh, that didn't develop through market pressures. Uh, on the contrary, automation and uh, computer-controlled machinery and so on was highly inefficient and could not be developed through the market. So it had to be developed through the state sector. We have a huge state sector of the economy here. It's called the Pentagon. Uh, and its purpose is to protect rich people from market discipline. That's one of the reasons why it stays high, even though you know, had to, didn't have, you know, we lost the enemy. But the uh, Pentagon spending hasn't changed, because the primary purpose of protecting the rich from market discipline remains. Uh, if you take a look at automation, uh, it was developed in decades through the Air Force and the Navy and so on. Well, that's you know, protected market, protected. The public's paying for it. You don't have to worry about market forces. Uh, uh, so containerization and compu uh, computer-controlled machine tools and all that kind of stuff were developed in the state sector, and they were developed in very specific ways. Uh, there's nothing about automation that says that it should be a weapon in the hands of management. It could be exactly the opposite. The technology is quite neutral. It doesn't really care how it's used. Uh, you can you develop automation so that it's a weapon to drive people out of work and to increase managerial prerogatives, or you can develop automation to put more power into the hands of skilled machinists and get rid of management. Uh, the automation is completely neutral. There's good studies of this, actually, by a guy who was a colleague of mine at MIT who didn't get tenure in part because of these studies, I should say. Uh, but they're very solid work. Uh, which points out that the automation was, in fact, designed specifically to de-skill workers uh, and to add levels of management. So very anti-economic efficiency, but very useful for class struggle. And hence, yes, there, is, there are these weapons now, automation, which are driving people out of work, but that's because they were designed that way. It's not, in any sense, inherent in the technology automation and robotics and all of that stuff could be fine things to just you know get rid of dirty work and get rid of management which you don't need anyway and get rid of owners and just put control in the hands of the workforce you can do that but of course it's not designed that way and in particular when it works through the state sector as it did uh, you can be sure that it won't be defined that way and that'll bring us to our artist of the episode the artist of the episode for this episode is carsey blanton Here's a little brief uh, blurb on Carsey Blanton from her Bandcamp page. Carsey Blanton writes anthems for a world worth saving. Whether alone or with her electric guitar or fronting her four-piece handsome band, Carsey delivers every song with an equal dose of moxie and mischief, bringing her audience together in joyful celebration of everything worth fighting for. Here's an excerpt from Carsey Blanton's blog, this is found at carseyblanton.com slash blog. And this is from several years ago, uh, but has uh, important lessons for now and for the future. We are all in this terrifying thing together. If you're a person who thought buying organic was a political act, I apologize. You've been duped, but it's not your fault. The idea that our personal consumer choices have an impact on the global economy is not an accident. It is, in fact, a feature of capitalism. It is good for capitalism when we believe that our personal choices are political choices because it keeps us from focusing on large-scale problems and organizing to solve them, which at this point in history cannot be good for capitalism. Consumer-level environmentalism creates lots of new markets while having no negative impact whatsoever on the industries that actually run the planet and profit off of its devastation. If we want to start making political choices, we need to stop thinking of ourselves as heroic individuals able to single-handedly stop climate change by buying a different phone case. 
We are part of the world, which is a small place, entirely and inseparably interconnected, and has one very big problem, which we can only solve together. The big problem thrives when we believe that we are separate people facing separate problems. It thrives when we worry about ourselves and our beliefs and what kind of water bottle to buy. It thrives by keeping us distracted, divided, and self-interested. The truth is, banning straws will not solve our problem, because our problem is bigger than straws. It's bigger than plastic and styrofoam and carbon emissions. It's bigger than AK-47s and abortion bans. Impeaching Trump won't solve it. We know. He got impeached twice. Because our problem is bigger than Trump. In fact, our problem is even bigger than, quote, men. There is only one man. His name is Capitalism. And he's got us all by the pussy. I am a socialist, which means I think we ought to organize our societies around some motives other than profit. I don't buy that the profit motive is particularly sacred or efficient, except at making profit. It's very efficient at that. And I prefer almost all the other motives, creativity, kindness, lust, humor, fun. I dream of a highly democratic post-capitalist society wherein politically invested citizens make collective, data-driven decisions about how to allocate the resources of this one small planet that we share. And Carsey goes on from there to uh, cover a lot of resources that have helped her in her revelation and understanding about capitalism and socialism and debunking some of the, the propaganda around socialism. Um, once again, this is at carseyblanton.com slash blog. And the topic for this episode was inspired by this new song from Carsey Blanton. This is Rich People. Mm, 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 mm. Seems like bad news all the time. We got blood and fire and wars and crime. They try to tell me who I ought to blame, but I know who it is, cause it's always the same. But don't be ashamed if you get confused when you talk to your friends or you watch the news. They try to tell you where it all went wrong, now you don't need to argue, just sing this song. It was rich people stacking the deck. Rich people with big fat checks Rich people They're having a ball Rich people Been fucking us all Back in 1979 The western world was in decline So Ronald Reagan and Thatcher too Well they fixed it right up But not Rich people stacking the deck Rich people with big fat checks Rich people, they're having a ball Rich people been fucking us all night
Carsey Blanton with the song American Kid from the album Buck Up. Here's an excerpt from a piece published at americansongwriter.com. Carsey has made a name for herself crafting songs that beneath the veneer blend revolutionary politics with daring commentary about relationships all laid out on a bed of clever, label-resistant songcraft. Carsey Blanton is on a mission to fight fascism. With her single Shit List released with an accompanying video, Carly and producer Tyler Chester pair her deceptively catchy Farfisa riffs and folk pop melodies with a blunt message, quote, that ain't the way we do it no more. In the official video for Shit List, Carsey juxtaposes footage of major historical moments both recent and archival from the January 6th storming of the Capitol building and altercations with neo-Nazis to speeches from Black Panther Party leader Fred Hampton and Che Guevara. There are also lots of cheerleaders. Written in the wake of the 2017 Charlottesville riots that took place not too far from her hometown, Carsey reflects, quote, The scariest thing about fascism is that we've done it before and we keep thinking we've beat it. We think its name is Hitler or McCarthy or Trump and that it dies with those names. We won't beat it until we learn to see it, name it, and organize against it. And we're going to listen to that track, Shit List, from the album Love and Rage. But before that, from the same album, here is Down in the Streets. a disaster going faster
Once again, that was Shitlist wrapping up our set of Carsey Blanton tracks. That was from the album Love and Rage. Here's a new song from Consolidated. This is Sister, Brother, Neither, Other. I'm 
That'll just about wrap up this episode of Polyrical. You can follow Polyrical on the Fediverse at collectiva.social. So that is at Polyrical at collectiva.social. And you can follow at Polyrical on Twitter. You can find all the back episodes of Polyrical at polyrical.com. And you can listen to this and all my podcasts playing 24-7 at movingtrainradio.com. From the album Changemakers, here is Chris Matthews with Call Them In. Thanks for listening. The battle lines are drawn and once again Somebody's saying, wait, be patient If they knew how long it would be Before all people could truly hear freedom ring I wonder which end of that moral arc would they choose? I wonder if more would have walked in his shoes. This is what, this is what revolution looks like. You gotta get in and then stay in this fight. You've got to find a way to get in.
This is what, this is what revolution looks like. You gotta get in, then stay in this fight. This is what, this is what revolution looks like.